0: Next, ReachMD presents this month's special series, Focus on Nutrition and Nutrition Science. As increasing evidence points to nutrition as a key factor in disease prevention and management, we're highlighting current topics, research, and best practices in the field. Peanut immunotherapy has shown recent promise for treating patients with peanut allergies. How safe is this therapy for those with severe allergies, and will it soon be widely available? You are listening to ReachMD Radio. The channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinicians Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Lee Friedman, and joining us to discuss peanut immunotherapy is Dr. Wesley Burks, Professor in Chief of the Division of Pediatric Allergy and Immunology at Duke University Medical Center in Durham, North Carolina. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Burks.
1: Thank you, Dr. Friedman. It's nice to be with you today.
0: Maybe we could start off by uh, you just describing in general some of the things that we know about peanut allergies and some things that we are less well acquainted with.
1: I think just from the general standpoint, peanut allergy in the last 30 years has probably doubled in its prevalence, especially from the mid-1980s to early 2000. The number of children less than five years of age almost tripled during that time frame that had peanut allergy. The other important point is that most children that develop peanut allergy keep it throughout their life. About 80% of them do. And that's in contrast to milk and egg wheat, and soy allergies that generally are outgrown in the first decade of life. So peanuts, tree nuts, fish, and shellfish, for lots of reasons I don't think we understand totally, appear to be very different.
0: Any ideas why we've seen this jump in prevalence?
1: There are lots of thoughts and ideas and hypotheses, but no, not one of them that anybody's really shown to be the reason. Uh, there are changes in feeding practices as far as time of introduction, some earlier, some later. There are changes in how we consume the food. There's a hygiene hypothesis that's out there. So all those people talk about, but there's not really any one reason that we know of.
0: Is it understood? I'm a general internist, and I think a peanut allergy is just a a terrific allergen. You get such a dramatic response. Why do we see that with peanuts as opposed to certain other foods?
1: I think the range of responses we see for peanut allergy from mild allergic symptoms to life-threatening or life-ending symptoms, you can see with any of the other food allergens and the reason we see probably more of it with peanut allergy uh, is it's, again, one of those food allergies that tends not to go away in the first several years of life. And if we look at the life-threatening and life-ending reactions, those are usually in the second and third decade of life. And you've typically lost your other food allergies by then, your milk and egg and wheat and soy. So that, that certainly plays a part in it. Why you don't lose it, though, is you know an area of active research. And I, I don't know that we know good reasons why that is right now.
0: So even though, in my mind, a peanut allergy, I think of the horrific anaphylactic type of reactions, there, there are more mild reactions. There is that gamut of response.
1: Yeah, it, it, it ranges, again, from very mild symptoms like hives to life-threatening symptoms like wheezing and pharyngeal edema.
0: And tell us immunotherapy. I, I know this is an active area of research for you. What type of studies have you been doing on immunotherapy for this problem?
1: So what we started doing here, and our studies are in collaboration with Dr. Stacy Jones at Arkansas Children's Hospital, uh, is built on the background of a couple of things. One is that we've known for a long time in the field of allergy that you can desensitize someone to an antibiotic. So if you have an allergic reaction to an antibiotic, and later that's the only medication that will kill that particular organism, then you can start out at very low doses, increase it over time. And as long as they continually do that, then they can be desensitized and take it. Once you stop that medication, then they're just as allergic, so it's not a state of permanence at all. And then the second thing is there were a few case reports from Europe that suggested you could, might do something similar to antibiotics and aspirin in that desensitization. So we started st- doing studies initially with egg, and then now with peanut and milk and other foods like that. And the concept is to start out at extremely low doses. Literally for a peanut, it's about one one-thousandth of a peanut. And build that up over time, generally takes us to six to eight months to build up to one peanut. And they're medically supervised doses, most of them, initial doses, are done in the research unit. And then later they're being done at home if it's safe for that particular individual.
0: I see. And and have you identified or isolated a particular protein that is the allergenic component of peanuts or is it a more general type of immunization?
1: So what the material that we're using now is just a crude peanut mix that has an amalgamation of all the different proteins. In separate research, we've been able to show what are the major proteins in peanut that cause the immune reaction. So there are proteins that are named after the scientific name of peanut, which is Arachis hypogaea, And so there are eight major allergens, or eight allergens, three of them that are pretty major. But this immunotherapy is just taking advantage of a, a crude peanut mix.
0: Interesting. And and how many studies and and what type of responses are you seeing with this?
1: There are two large studies that we're doing. The first one was an open pilot study, and the second one was a blinded study. And I'll talk about the pilot study first. We had 33 subjects between the two sites that started, four of them in the first few weeks. We, along with the families, decided that there are too many allergic side effects and we didn't need to continue. So 29 of them have either completed or are still in process. So of those twenty nine what we saw is that somewhere between ten and fourteen months on therapy, so we built up to that a dose and left them on that on a daily basis. Then we did a peanut challenge for each of those at about fifteen peanuts and twenty nine of the twenty nine were able to tolerate either fifteen peanuts or right at that, and before the study, they all reacted at less than a tenth of a peanut and that was on the therapy, so we continued the therapy and then uh, recently, we looked at 10 of those 29 that had been on the therapy for longer than two and a half years, and we made a decision that of those 10, if any of them, their peanut IgE, which is a blood test out of the serum, their IgE to peanut became less than two, we would do a third, second challenge and then a third challenge off therapy. So there were now seven of those 10 that have their peanut IgE is less than two. We did a second challenge. They tolerated 15 peanuts again, and we'd done that first one to the same 15, a a year and a half or two years before, and then we stopped the therapy. And then a month later, then we did the third challenge off therapy of 15 peanuts, and they tolerated that, and those seven had peanuts back in their diet. And the other three, along with the other 22 that are still in the study, they're continuing on the daily therapy, and they're responding in that their peanut IgE is significantly less, their skin test is less than when they started the study. So then in the, the blinded study, we have 20 that have finished the first year, And we did a two-to-one randomization scheme. So for every three entering, two would receive peanut, one would receive placebo. They would build up to a dose, and then at the end of approximately a year, they would have a challenge with 15 peanuts. And at the end of the year, those on placebo, which were seven of them, reacted after about a peanut and a half. And the 13 that were on treatment tolerated the 15 peanuts without any symptoms. So those that were on treatment continued or followed them, and then those that were on placebo now have re-enrolled the study to build up back to a treatment. So we'll continue to follow both those groups longer
0: term. Very interesting. And, and in the pilot study you described then, if uh, in those seven patients who got their IgE levels down, they were able to stop the therapy and at least at one month, they still were able to tolerate the 15 peanuts. Yes. That's impressive. Any idea how long that effect will last off therapy?
1: Yeah. So what we've asked the families to do is just uh, to allow their kids to have peanuts in their diet every day just to make sure they're still maintaining their tolerance and. We followed some of them out for now six to eight months, and we'll continue to follow them uh, just to see if it's long-lasting, and that's something that we don't know right now. But it appears at least this far, they've been able to continue to keep peanuts in their diet.
0: If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Lee Friedman, and with me is Dr. Wesley Burks, professor and chief of the Division of Pediatric Allergy and Immunology at Duke University, and we are discussing peanut immunotherapy. Dr. Birx, does this immunization seem to protect for other types of nuts or, or just peanuts?
1: So the studies are, have been done and are being done right now on children that have egg allergy, milk allergy. Ones are just starting on tree nut allergy, but there's not any expectation that it wouldn't do the same thing. The early studies from milk and eggs show the same things that one did with peanuts, so we would expect the same effects with tree nut because there's not anything peanut-specific in these studies. It's just we're
0: giving them the allergen. And it sounds like from your description of the studies that small number of patients really have a pretty dramatic reaction to the immunization itself and could not continue is, is that correct?
1: Yes, so we we've, we've had about 15% of the children that have not been able to continue beyond a couple of weeks. And based on other studies that are going on in Europe now, then it's been a pretty similar number. So for reasons that I don't know that we can know right now, there's not anything different about the at the beginning uh, these children, their skin test is not higher, their peanut IgE is not higher, um, but there's, for some reason they don't tolerate even that low a dose. So I, I think that there's some expectation that that would continue.
0: And about 85%, therefore, are tolerating it well and are continuing with the treatments. Yes, that's correct. Now, these are in children. Is there any thought or hope that this might be uh, applicable to adults with peanut allergy?
1: Yes, there's not a reason to think that something similar As far as immunologically, the response to treatment wouldn't happen, and studies in adults are being started right
0: now. Very interesting. And outside of the arena of clinical studies, do do you see this coming to be commercially available at any time soon?
1: I think right now the studies are still investigational. There are things about those children that don't tolerate it at the beginning that we want to try to understand better as far as the allergic side effects and then also understand how we might be able to build up faster on the dosing. But I really expect in the next several years that some type of therapy, particularly for peanut allergy, will be available among the different types of
0: studies that are going on right now. And I imagine because the therapy is given on an ongoing basis, at least at this point, we wouldn't want people from all over the country to be calling Duke or the Arkansas Children's Hospital trying to enroll in these studies.
1: I think what we see right now are children that are enrolling really have to be locally because they're having visits to the research unit every two weeks because mm-hmm. these are doses that are medically supervised. And our hope is that if we continue to see positive results, that that other studies will start in different places so that we could enroll more children. But right now, it really is still investigational.
0: And if this becomes widely available, how many deaths or hospitalizations are we looking at possibly preventing?
1: There's somewhere around 100,000 ER visits each year for food-induced anaphylaxis. And so that's a significant number of, of patients that are seen in emergency rooms for accidentally consuming a food that they know they're allergic to and then having pretty significant symptoms. Uh, It's estimated that the deaths annually in the U.S. are between 125 and 150.
0: So there's a lot that can be prevented out there, a lot of suffering and and some deaths. In terms of the development of peanut allergies in individuals and children, you've done a, a recent study looking at a relatively low rate of peanut allergy among Israeli children compared to Jewish children in the U.K. Does that have some implication here?
1: So one of the investigators, Gideon Lack, in London, has looked at a cohort of children in Israel and a similar genetic population in London and found that those in Israel had a lot much lower prevalence of peanut allergy. And then they went back to look to try to find out why. And one of the interesting things that they identified is that those children in Israel versus London were eating a snack in their diet early in life, starting at about a year of age, called Bamba and it's a light, fluffy material that has a peanut coating on it. So the thought was, well, maybe that was causing less prevalence of peanut allergy by introducing that early in the diet. So now Dr. Lack and others are actually doing an interventional trial, and they have about 400 children enrolled, to try to see if by, in, by beginning the food earlier in life than we think we should right now, that we can prevent some cases of peanut allergy beginning.
0: I imagine there's got to be a little bit of risk there introducing peanuts to children that may potentially be sensitive to them.
1: Right, and so what they're doing is they're screening the population before they start by blood testing and by skin testing. So the children that have already developed allergies, they wouldn't be introducing it. But those that haven't by age 8 to 12 months, then they're beginning to do the introduction earlier.
0: Are there other allergens that seem to, to follow this pattern? That is, if a child is introduced to it earlier in life, they tend not to develop a sensitivity?
1: It's really not been studied. And again, the, the study from Dr. Lack and others was an observational study. And the interventional one to try to prove that that it is better to introduce it earlier is being done now. The Part of the confusion goes back to some of the recommendations that have been made by different groups about when to introduce foods early in life. What we do know in the at-risk population, which is a family that has mother, dad, or a sibling with allergic disease, then the offspring has a higher chance of developing any allergy. So if the mother will breastfeed for longer than four months and then not give the child any solid food for greater than four months, then the child has much less chance of any allergies, and not just food allergy, but really anything else. So we know that's true, those two things, by lots of good studies. What we don't know is when to introduce peanuts, tree nuts, fish, and shellfish. Is it better at eight months? Is it better at 12 months? Is it better to wait till three? So that's where the studies are right now is to try to identify when's the best time early in life to introduce the food so that they're less likely to develop allergies to
0: it. Very interesting. So about four months seems to be the the magic number in terms of any benefit from breast milk and also avoiding the things that might be allergens, but we're not really sure when the best time is after that to introduce these. Well, I'd like to thank Dr. Wesley Burks from Duke University Medical Center for discussing with us peanut immunotherapy. It's been a very interesting and hopeful discussion. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable from ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD online, on demand, and on air. Please also visit us at ReachMD.com. And as always, thank you for listening. You've been listening to this month's special series, Focus on Nutrition and Nutrition Science. For downloadable podcasts of programs in this series, go to ReachMD.com and choose the series, Focus on Nutrition and Nutrition Science.